Um, when you um, when you share a prophetic word, it's interesting. You don't um, you don't share word to give people a bit of a tickle. You know what I mean? You 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 share it into the atmosphere, and um, because it's a, it's a it's a spiritual word for 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 the spiritual realm of which we are part of, as well as we are also plugged into the earthly realm. So when I share this, uh, there's a small group of people here, but this is for our nation and. Just during worship, I, just, I was just caught up in, in watching the next three years of Australia just unfold. And um, what, I, what, what God was showing me and what I believe he was showing me is that the, 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 over the next three years, and, and it has already begun, the, the fabric, the, insula- the, the insulation to the fabric of our society um, will be und- completely undone. And... Um, we're not going to go into war or uh, we're not going to have people running into our church buildings uh, shooting us. Okay? What I'm saying is that Australia is quite an insulated country. We are. We've had an insulated culture for, for a long time. But, but at the hands of men who, whom God has allowed to have authority, decisions will be made that will undo that insulation. It will, it will shift the fabric of, of our society in a negative way. Um, in a very negative way. And I, I, I saw just a multitudes of Christians disillusioned by that because they were praying um, for certain things. And I believe it will be government policies that will be made. I, 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 I don't want to name what they are, but I saw government policies being made that literally undid the fabric of society um, in, a, in a negative way. And I saw a lot of Christians standing and praying for it, but they became highly disillusioned because God was not answering the prayer, their direct prayers. Um, I saw three groups of, 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 of the church, three groups of the, and when I mean church, it's every single uh, church in this country. I saw people that were becoming disillusioned become separatists. They, 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 they sought to um, isolate and insulate themselves even more um, so as to not be affected by the cultural change. Um, <clears throat> And they, would, they, were, they, were, they prayed hard and became more disillusioned as it happened. <clears throat> and because of that, they became, less in, in, they became less effective. The second group is I watched a, a group of a community, the, a certain community become um, very culturalist. They, they started to embrace the culture um, for, for the sake of keeping the, keeping the organization going, keeping the machine running, keeping the business uh, moving forward. But I also saw a group of people that that stood in the culture but not of the culture um, in order to reform their culture. And one of the things that becomes confusing, and, I, and, I, and the first group showed that to me more as, as God is un- unraveling it, is that there was, um, sorry, not unraveling, as he was revealing it, um, their, their, life, their Christian life was becoming unraveled as God was revealing this in this thing to me. Um, that they, <clears throat> they struggled because... Because they didn't understand that it was that the authority was actually in the hands of men. Like God, God has given us His Spirit to govern on His behalf. The, the Scripture is clear. It says, "The earth is the heavens. Sorry, the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth He has given to man." That word "given" is He has laid over authority to. That's the, the Hebrew word for it. Um, he, he, has, he has put life and death in the tongues of men, both blessings and curses, in our mouth. The authority that we as humankind hold over the planet is delegated to us by a sovereign God who sits over all sovereign 
And within a certain time, he has given us authority to govern this earth. And at a certain time, that will be changed, all, all be changed in that day when the Lord returns. And we, we look forward to that day. However, as the church, as his church, not the church, but as his church, there, there's an authority that Jesus has given to us to, to take back that which the, and to, to take back that which the enemy is trying to take and to, to stand against any advancement of the kingdom of darkness. Even more so, not to, not to stand against the advancement of darkness, but that we're the ones who actually advance against it. It says the gates of hell will not prevail. That doesn't mean that we will protect ourselves from the gates advancing. It says that they won't prevail against us climbing over them, knocking them over, to free those who are stuck in darkness. And light was, you know, darkness um, can only shine. Sorry, darkness can only exist if light doesn't shine. It's really that simple. And that's hard. It's hard to understand that. But what I what I saw, what I what I felt God say to me, or heard God say to me, is is in those in that time in this season, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Because sometimes. We pray, God, don't let this happen. God, stop this from happening. But in God's sovereignty, he sees something happening and something must happen in order for mankind to, to turn to him. So what I, I, what I heard God say is, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And the prayer will be effective as, Lord, tell me what I must do in this circumstance. Tell us what we as a community must do. Tell us what we, the church, must do in this circumstance. And um, just give me a second. I, I, I honestly feel that in that season, old warriors will actually rise up because they, they, would, they have fought battles and they'll know how to fight battles. I actually think that the old warriors, guys who have who've put down their weapons and have sat, um, in a sense, they're unrelatable to, to church as we know it now. They, are, they have felt that the way... The church is currently gone in the West that, and in our country that they are actually irrelevant. They don't know how to fit in. So they, they sit there faithfully. They, they pray. They love God. But they've put down their swords. They've got scars on their bodies from, from battles that they've fought. They will rise up again. They'll rise up to lead and to help another generation who have not fought battles to stand and fight. Now, when I mean fight battles, you know, I don't mean we take up arms to go chop people's ears off and that. We, we fight spiritual battles. It's, 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 it's spiritual battles. It's, it's teaching people to stand when all everything around them is shaking. When it's easier to run, they said, hang on, just stand here. Like Moses on the mountain with his hands up. Standing with the two on the side of him while the battle raged down in the field. It's, I, I feel that there'll be a generation that you've put down. And, and when I mean a generation, I don't mean just by age. You're not natural age. I mean individuals that have fought battles before and have been sitting dormant in the church will actually rise up to help lead a younger generation in the ways of how to warfare with God and for God on his behalf. And I also felt this. This is a, this is a big one. And um, I'm, I'm highly convic convicted by this. This is how, this is, while we're worshiping, I just felt this. The way to win this battle is this love God and love one another. And the former is so much easier than the latter. Because let me tell you, <laughs> humans hurt, we hurt each other. We, we stab each other in the back. We have harsh words. We, it is so hard to love another human being. 
And it's hard to love a Christian because we say we love, but we actually destroy with our tongues. We destroy with our actions. But that's the way we're going to win the battle is this, love God and love one another. I, I want to ask God, help us to love one another because it's actually easy to love God. It is. But we don't know how to love one another. And I really feel that that's going to be something that maybe we're going to learn over this next season. I, I really, For me personally, I'm highly convicted because I know looking around this room, there's many of you, I actually don't, with all honesty, I don't love you. I don't hate you. I don't hate you. I have nothing. I just don't love you. I don't. You, you are, I'm, I'm indifferent towards you. But that's not God's way. I've, I've spoken to my wife about this before. I said to her, I'm highly convicted by the fact that I don't love people. And I, and I need to because I once did. But then I was hurt. But now I'm learning again. But I think that we as a community, we can model this out. We can, we can do something. I look around. I, I watch how Ben looks at you. I see people here. And I'm going, this is something that we can start. Love God. Easy. But let's, uh, something about loving each other that I think God's going to reveal to us in this season. Sorry for taking it off your preach. Some of, some of that words for you. Yeah. There's a reason I asked. Brad came and shared that with me during worship. And I, and I just said to him, Let, just wait a moment. I, I just need to see where, what God's doing with this. And then he didn't tell me the arise part. But while I was praying for Chris, I, I, I honestly heard God say, it's time for us to arise. And the reason I asked him to share that was a, a story that I wasn't going to tell. I wasn't going to tell any stories, actually, from my time away. I, I've, I've prepped on Nehemiah because we are in a series of Nehemiah, but I, I can't not go there now that we're here and God's leading us. But I got the, the privilege while I was away to fly into a country called Bahrain, which is about which is northeast of Dubai, about an hour out of Dubai, with a friend of, of, of ours, Basi. He leads a church there. And it was phenomenal. I got to go in and it's, it's a very, very surreal. If you've never been to the Middle East, it's a very surreal place to be in. I, I was amazed. The whole time I was there, I couldn't I could not stop thinking about God. We were, uh, I was sitting in a, a compound at a person's house that was, honestly, I felt like I was in Iraq in the war. That's how insane this place was. And the call to prayer went off, which is the, the Muslim call to prayer, which is at all the mosques. And they didn't blink an eyelid because they obviously hear it every day. But man, I sat there silent. I was absolutely perplexed at the fact that, that the entire nation would stop to pray. And I was, I was challenged, but we flew into, I flew into Bahrain to spend two days with our friend. And his son-in-law said to me one night, he said, hey, bro, we're going to go, there's a few of us going to go to the streets and just love on the kids. Now, I'm in a foreign country that I've never been in before that's an Islamic country. The first thing I thought was, there's no way I'm going. And I said to them, I said, ah, bro, you know, I'm, I'm here to talk to Basi. I'm going to just stay and inside these comfy doors and talk about the church because that's what I was here to do, right? I was there to talk to Barsi. And um, Barsi looks at me and he says, I can't do his accent, Brad does it really well, but he says, hey, Brew, I'm going to have a nap. So I'm going to nap for the next few hours, so you may as well go. So now I'm like, well, I've got no outs, eh? So I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. So we go into this park and... As we're driving, I'm chatting and, and playing it all cool. But to be honest with you, I was actually packing it. I was, I was quite worried. I'm in, a, I'm in a Muslim country. I'm going into a park and we're going to go and love kids and, and tell them about Jesus. So we pull up at this park and we get out. And it was, for me, it was very insane. It's, it's funny when we come from the West, eh? we don't, it, stuff scares us very quickly. But there was, there was Muslims everywhere. And like I'm talking 
guys that I, I'd never seen what a park like. So there was people everywhere. And we get out and there's some, some kids playing soccer, football. So I thought, oh, that'd be cool. I'll go play football with the kids. So I go over and, and I'm, as I'm going, I'm praying. And I realized while I was standing there, I have absolutely no idea what to do in this situation. Like I'm saying to God, God, we're not exposed to something like this in the West. You know, In the West, it's so much easier. We, we walk out. We talk about Jesus, and if, if they don't like us, then they, they you know, blow us off, and, and that's it. We keep going. But there was a small moment in, in me that was thinking, I could be arrested here. This could be a, a, a real thing, given that they, their country is built on Sharia law. So I, I, as we were going, we were standing there, and there were some, some YWAMers, bless the YWAMers, that were there. And they were, they're trying to launch a base in Bahrain, and there was a girl with a guitar, and she goes over to this place. It was a, a, a massive, big, open, concrete area. And there was uh, Muslims all the, all the way around and, and a few, few Arabs just sitting among there. And she gets her guitar and she starts playing, How Great Is Our God? My initial thought was, what is she doing? We're going to get shot. And I, I, I looked at the guy I was with and I said, Hey, Tiago, this... Does this happen all the time? He said, this is the first time I've ever been able to do this. So I said, all right, well, we're here. We're in Rome, man. We may as well go over. So we went over, and man, we worshipped. And the, the, the Arab kids had no idea what was going on, but they loved it. They were dancing. We had a massive big circle. It was probably about 30, 30 guys that had come from all over. Guys from other churches had heard that guys were worshipping, so they had come in. It was phenomenal. And the kids... They had no idea, and they said to us, you know, we don't, we've never seen people come and do this. It feels so free. That was what they said. And I was chatting with one of the guys there who leads a church, and he leads a church predominantly aimed towards the youth. And he said the hardest thing is that when, he, when we see a youth, a young guy get saved in something like that, when he goes home to tell his parents that he's met Jesus Christ, most of the times we never see him again. And he said, we've been, how's this? They had a kid that was going to their church, he got saved, radically saved. He went home to tell his parents, I've met Jesus, and they beat him half to death. So the guys who led the church went to their place and they knocked on their door and they said, hey, we need to talk to you about your son. They have absolutely no authority to do that except for the authority in Christ. The family got saved because they knocked on the door and said, hey, we, need to, we, need, we have a problem, we need to fix this. We told you about a man named Jesus, a king named Jesus, and he's real, and it saved your son, and now he's going to save you. And I was talking with Brad last night. We watched um, uh, Paul, the apostle, the movie, and it was, it's an interesting movie, but the thing that I noticed was that I saw the same thread go through the whole movie, that they were in a place where the gospel meant so much to them unto death that it meant everything to them, that Paul had so many outs if he would have just denounced who he was, but it meant everything to him. And my heart, as I was watching the film, my heart became to, to hurt because I thought, Flip, man, we've missed so much of it in the West. We've just missed it. We just, we've made this thing so much about church and about coming to a Sunday building that we've actually missed the power of the gospel. We've actually missed the authority that Jesus has given us and allowed us to go and spread into this nation to the point that if a, kid had, if, if a kid came to me and said, hey, my parent beat me half to death because I, I came to your church, I would not know what to do. 
There's no way I was knocking on their door to say, hey, by the way, the authority that I have is greater than your authority. It's greater than the authority in this nation to actually bring my king into your home. At the moment he knocked on the door and he opened it, the, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit was able to flood that place and see that guy's life changed. That's the gospel we read about. That's the gospel we come every morning to sing about. Jesus, there's no other name greater than yours. But then we get so quickly beat down and, and so disillusioned that we forget that right up until the next Sunday where we come and sit back and sing it again. And guys, please, I am as burdened with this as I'm seeming now. I, for myself, thought we've got to do this better. I was just sitting there and, and just worshipping to God and saying, God, I just want to see your kingdom come. I just want to see your, your presence manifested here in this city, in this nation. I, I, I flew back and I was invited to a, a pastor's retreat thing for a couple of days that I got to go up to. And, you know, it was interesting listening to the different hearts of the pastors in this city. And I, there was a, a common thread that came through that was, regardless of who we are, we just want to see the kingdom manifest. We just want to see God. We're all going to do it different ways, but we just want to see God move. And I honestly believe that church leaders and churches can't do that. The way we see churches, the church, the body of Christ, all of us can make that happen. So when we stand up here and we say there's a generation that needs to arise, there's something we've got to do. We've got to put aside our things. And it was funny. It was funny this morning because I was saying, man, what are the things that, God, what are the things that get in our way? What are the things that, that hold us down? And we got here this morning and the coffee beans were a little out of date, so the coffee was a little off-tasting and, you know, we didn't have any milk. And the things, these things get in the way. I'm not saying they're unimportant. Please, I love coffee. But it, those are the things that start to block our ability to, to worship Jesus and to gather a resource to go out and tell his people about him. The fact that it was raining this morning and the, and the thought crossed my mind, I wonder if guys will be able to make it to worship God this morning because it's raining. Or if the sun's baking in the sky and I think, man, the, the, the waves have really turned on. Are we going to get guys this morning to come and worship? It's not a conviction because I need people to be here to fill my ego. Because I don't. I really don't. I'm, I'm happy. I, my prayer often to God is, God, if I can only disciple one person, give me one. If everyone else walks and I get one to disciple, then that's all I can handle. I'm happy with that. But as a people, as a community of church, we've got to start to understand, God, I'm going to come on a Sunday morning and I'm going to worship you and I'm going to give you all that I have. And then the rest of the week, I'm going to continue to worship you on my own and with the friends and people that I meet with throughout the week. And then when I come back as a family, I'm going to again give it all back to you. Because we get ourselves in a place where we go, Jesus, it's all about you, and I, I, I want to know who you are because I want to go out and tell the other people who you are. And for some of us, that's going to be so much easier. I mean, the guys that we were walking with in this park in Bahrain, the, they were phenomenal how they handled these kids. Like, there was a, a, Brazilian, a Brazilian guy that I was with, two Brazilians, and one of the guys, man, he acted like these kids were his kids the way he protected them, the way he talked to them, the way he walked with them. And I just thought, man, this guy knows the heart of Jesus. He wasn't a very well-read guy, well-spoken guy. He just knew how to love people. And then I was flying on the flight to Bahrain with Barsi. I was asking him different questions about the different um, 
clothes they wear and the different um, headdresses and what they mean. And, and you know, I, I don't, Barsi's preached here once, I think, and Barsi has the heart of a pastor like I've never seen. Like when you talk to Barsi, you just feel a, a real hug, even though he hasn't touched you. But he, he talked about the people like they were his children. He talked, about, he talked about a people group that he said, I just want them to know Jesus because I love them so much and they need to know my Father. They need to know the heart of God. And I was chatting with him and he has a heart to, to go into Saudi Arabia and to plant a church in Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia is harsh. It's a tough place. It's the heart of Mecca, the, the heart of, of where they go, the, the Islams go to, to worship, worship God. So there's, there's, as Muslims in that country is, is extreme. The laws in that country are extreme. And Basi's heart, he was, we were sitting there talking, and he says, I just want to get to Saudi. I just want to go to Saudi. I want to plant a church in Saudi, and I want to see God change people's hearts. You know, that was the heart of Paul when he wrote to the Romans, and he said, I don't know you, but I long to be with you. And it was Rome that, that put Paul in, in the most excruciatingly tough position. But he said, because of my God, because of Jesus, nothing else matters until you know who he is. You see, folks, when we talk about mission, when we talk about forwarding the gospel, when we talk about, about worshipping Jesus, all the other stuff falls away because we become so perplexed by who he is that we just want to go and chase him. The fact that we've been, we've been talking on Nehemiah for the last two weeks and the fact that Nehemiah would put himself in that position, his heart was to see the city rebuilt so that, so that God's name could reign back in that place. So that the land of his forefathers, the land of, of the God of Israel would be back into a place of establishment. But he had to give up everything that he had in order to do that. He had to give up everything and he had to go and face extreme possibilities that he could have been killed. To the place where they gave him, if, if you weren't here last week, you heard Brad speak about the, the three men that gave him the option to get out and he said, I can't, I've been given a work by God. That's what's important. I'm going to stick to this. I love it. At the end of, of Nehemiah, I think it's seven, it says, Nehemiah, we should pack up and leave because they're coming to kill you. And he says, why? My work is here. My job is here. I'm going to do what God asked me to do. That's the gospel. That's what we get called to do to a nation. But it starts with, it starts with us. It starts with the little thing. You know, I look at guys like Billy Graham and, and um, Reinhard Bonnke and some of these, these incredibly big men of faith. They started with their personal look to God. They started with a passion to say, God, I love you so much. I just want to know you. And the thing is, as, as you begin to know the heart of the Father, your heart begins to beat for the things that his heart beats for. So when Brad's saying, how do we love people? How do we, how do we honestly look at our neighbor and say, bro, I love you? We begin to look at the Father because He loves that person next to you. That's why I, I, I truly believe, that's why God, God gave us that, that call, love God and then love our neighbor because we have to learn how to love God first because His heart beats for our neighbor. So when we learn to love Him, we'll learn to love our neighbor. Is that okay? Okay, I will get to Nehemiah. If you've got a Bible with me, turn to Nehemiah 6 verse 14. So 
So if you're here last week, Brad spoke incredibly. If you haven't listened to last week's sermon, go and listen to it. It's on the app. You can get it on SoundCloud or the app. Um, we've done the last two weeks. If you haven't here, been here for either or if you haven't been here last week, go and listen so that this sermon makes some more sense. But there was something Brad touched, touched on last week that I just want to go back and, and spend a little bit of time about it because I really believe that in this next season and in, in, in the next growth of the church, it's going to be a big thing that's going to really rock what we're building. And it's in, sorry, a little earlier, 6 verse 1. When Semblat and Tobiah and Geshem the, Arab, and, the Arab, uh, Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the war and that there was no breach left in it, although up till that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Semblat and Geshem said to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakaparim in the, in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messages to them, saying, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And in it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says that you and the Jews had intended to rebel. That is why you are building the wall, and according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. What Samblat has done here, we heard last week, is that he sent an open letter. And what an open letter meant was that anybody in the region that the letter passed through was able to, to read that letter. So in those times, they, as Brad said last week, they would seal a letter with a stamp of uh, ink, uh, sorry, of wax. So the letter couldn't be opened unless by who it was addressed to. But Sambalat sends a letter in an open format so that everybody can read it. And the letter that he's written is interesting. He writes to Nehemiah concerning the fact that he was trying to take the throne of the king. And the hope from Sambalat was that it would get around those who were helping Nehemiah build and that they would say, we don't want any part of that because if you try and overthrow the king, the king will fight against us. So he was trying to spark controversy in the, in the uh, city that Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls so that those that were building with him would no longer want to build and that they would come and destroy what had already been built and Nehemiah. About six weeks ago, maybe, I, w- I was in a conversation with Mal and Mal said something to me that was incredibly, incredibly helpful. And I didn't realize that it was going to pertain to this until I, I read this verse again and realized, flip, that's what Mal was talking about. But he said to me that we need to be, be careful and we need to fight against suspicion. And at the time, I didn't really understand what he was saying, but he was, what Mal was saying to me was we need to be careful for those who become suspicious of things that don't exist. And that was the conspiracy that Nehemiah was fighting against. Nehemiah's heart was never, ever to overthrow the king. His heart was to rebuild the city and allow God to do what God wanted to do in that. But they knew that if they could get the people to understand that his heart was to overthrow the city, then they could get him them conspiring against Nehemiah and stop the whole destruction. This happens in, in the church all the time. Guys, do not come to understand what's in happening. They do not fight to work out what's the reality and what's the truth. The moment something seems to be wrong, guys will grab that with both hands and run with it. I want to say this morning, guys, we need to, as a community, fight against it. Because it's all of us that gather together to fight against the word of the enemy. 
When the enemy comes in, and I, I promise it'll happen in your marriage as well, that when the enemy comes in and he whispers a lie in, that lie grows and grows and grows until something large happens. It's so destructive. And it's destructive in this house. It's destructive in the house down the road and every other house I've ever seen. And you know, when we learn how to address one another as brothers and as, as mature disciples in Christ, we can break that thing straight away. We can really knock it on the head. Because I promise it's the thing that, that will destroy, if we allow it, that will destroy a house like this. I was sitting with a church leader, uh, no, sorry, I was sitting with a, a friend of mine who was in a church, and I happened to know a lot of the ins and outs of, of their leadership team. I happened to know what was happening in the church, some of the issues they were having, and this guy who was in the church said to me, can I ask you some questions? And I said, look, it's, you're going to put me in a very difficult position if you ask me questions because there's some that I'm not going to be able to answer. And he said, well, what do you, what do you propose that I do? And I said, do you have questions that pertain to the way that that guy's leading the church? And he said, yes. There's things that, that are really upsetting me and irritating me. I said, where have you heard them? And he said, well, it's guys within the church are starting to talk about this thing that's happening. I said, okay, is, is the guy who leads the church, do you, do you submit to him as your leader? And he said, yes, I do. I said, so you're a part of that house? He said, yes, that's my home. I said, okay, so you give him the authority to lead you? And he said, yes, I do. I said, then you need to go to him and ask the question. Because if you ask me, it's nothing more than a whisper again. You need to go to him and sit before him. And he said, but that's going to be very difficult because it's a question about him. I said, yeah, but that's what Jesus tells us to do. And if he doesn't listen to you, then you grab one of the other elders and you take him with you. But you see, the reason Jesus told us to act like that is instantly it breaks, it breaks that suspicion off. Instantly it breaks the things that we've made up in our head. The enemies continue to lie about and lie about and lie about. And we, when we go to the person, we find out, man, most of that was lies. Now, how many times have you seen friendships where guys have, have had a friendship, something's gone wrong, and then what started as a very small problem has bred into this massive thing where they've done this and they've done that. And then you actually go and speak to that person. They go, hey, I did the first thing, absolutely. And I've been wanting to repent for that for so long, but you wouldn't speak to me. But all those other things, I never did. Because the enemy gets in and starts to feed on this discontent and feed on this thing that in, in the end it becomes this massive problem and then we never resolve it. And the reason that Jesus says go back and fix that before you come to the altar is because he wants you to sort that out because it's hurting you. Not because he needs you to be clean and, and washed, it's because you, you are carrying pain and suffering that you don't need to carry. But these things grow and build and that's why Sambalat was so clever to send that open letter. But I think the most incredible thing is, is what Nehemiah says. He says, we never, I'm sorry, in, six, in 6.11 he says, but Nehemiah says, should such a man as I run away and what man such as I could go into the temple and live, I will not go. When they're saying to him, we should leave, and he says, I will not go. They've called me for everything. It doesn't matter because what God's given me is more important than that. So there's times in my life where I've, I've had guys give, build conspiracy and build lies about who I am or what I've done or what I've said, and there comes a point where I go, there's nothing more I can do. I wish that some of, some of the guys who have said things and done things to me in that way would come and ask. But I think I'm not going to chase you out there 
because my work is here. And if you lead me out there, then I'm not where God's asked me to do the work. But I will always stand in a place where I say, I will talk to you and fix this thing. But you see, when we carry that bitterness in our heart, we carry it with us, and we say, you know what, I am going to run from it, I'm going to hide from it, we stop doing the work God's asked us to do. And it's for most, it's not till years down the track that we realize, Flip, I should have been back there. The thing that Brad's talking about, about old, old men picking up their swords, I truly believe that a lot of the reason they put their sword, sword down was, was hurt in the church. And someone came to them and said, hey, we should run, we should hide in the temple. And they've said, yes, I will, I'll lay my sword down. Instead of doing what Nehemiah said and said, no, whether I'm hurt or not, God's told me to stand here and build, so I'll build. I know so many incredible men and women of God who have been hurt by the church so they've, they've done one or two things. They've taken their, their ministry away from the church and they're doing it on their own or they've just decided, I'm just going to sit here. With, it's just going to be me and God. Just me and God because it's easier that way. Now I can get enough stuff on YouTube. I can, I, can, I can feed myself in that way, but it's just easier this way. Yeah, but your gift now is missing from the house to build what God has you to build because you won't continue to build. I truly, truly believe, and, that, and my, call to, my call often is, God, bring them home. Bring the generals home, the big men and women of God that you planted, that you built with, who have put their swords down, they've put their plowshares down because they've been hurt. But my other prayer is, but God, allow me to lead them like others didn't. Because there does come a place where there has to be protection in the house. But I'm telling you, if as a family we can learn how to knock conspiracy on the head, we will be a so much closer, stronger family. If you hear a whisper in the church, if you hear something, hey, I heard this went down or that went down, or you saw someone who hasn't come back for a few weeks, or you saw something that, that you didn't like, and someone's telling you about it, you need to say, hey, stop. Take that to the leaders. If you have questions, good, ask them. But don't ask them to those who don't know the answer. Come and talk. The door is open and we're free to discuss this. And I'm not, nothing has happened for me to bring this up. It's not like there's a hidden agenda here. But I got to this in Nehemiah while I was reading it and I thought, flip, that is huge. That's what, that's what almost brought down the destruction of, of um, Nehemiah's wall. That was the final attack that, that Sam Blatt had was we're not going to breach this by kicking the doors in because they've rebuilt the wall. We're not going to breach this. We need to manipulate our way in and then crush it from the inside out. That's what happens in the church. Um, where am I? What are we doing here? Let's go to um, verse 7. I'm going to end on this. It's not as uh, Nehemiah-y as we wanted it, but it's okay. It's okay. We can... We can uh, plan things and then we can have, we can have God completely destroyed. I'm, I'm more than okay with that. If I don't have to preach what I prepared, I'm very excited about that. That means God's speaking. Oh, where did I say to go? Seven. Beautiful. One to four. Now when the war had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanai and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot, 
And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard post and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no house had been rebuilt. The first thing I want to touch on here is the first verse. Now, when the wall had been built, I'd set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites were the three that had been appointed. When Nehemiah first finishes the city, the first thing he needs to rebuild, the first thing he brings back in were the gatekeepers, the prayers, the protection of the city. He brings back in and he says, now that we've got the wall up, we need the gate to be kept shut. We need the prayers and the petitions of the people. I'm swapping between the old picture of what Nehemiah established and to where we stand now. When we first establish the house of God, we need to put the gates up. The prayers, the prayers that stand and pray against. We have some phenomenal prayer warriors in this church that I know are praying. And it's on those things that we feel protection in this house. That when, we, when I was away, I felt protected. I felt like there was a, a, a powerful um, level of protection that you guys are praying for me. And I thank you. And I thank you for the way that you looked after my wife as well. We felt very blessed by this community while we were away. Loved and, and honored. So thank you. But when we establish the gates, the first thing that goes in, are the keepers, the the prayers. The second thing that goes in, which I find incredible, are the singers. Now that we've got protection, we've got a house that can worship the Lord, we're going to worship. I find it that to me is is incredibly fascinating that, that Nehemiah puts so much emphasis on the singers coming back, so much so that when you read in the next verse, sorry, later in this verse, that he accounts for the singers. He knew who the singers were because they were an important part of building the wall. Guys, worship, I've said it and I'll say it until... I am blue in the face. Worship is so incredibly important for what we're doing in this, in this build. And I want to honor this house too. I, I, I've got to be in some awesome worship times, but Flip, we worship and I, and I love it. I love it. To stand here this morning and just be able to worship like that is just incredible. And I love the fact that we, 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 don't, we don't need the fancy things. We need hearts willing to worship, singers willing to just give everything to God. That's worship. That when as a people group we stand together, we bring the next most important thing in the house is worship. And the last thing that he established, the last thing that he brought in, well, the last of the first three, obviously more things came in, but were the Levites, the teachers of the Torah, those who taught the people the word of God those who taught the people the law to understand how to operate within the city. Prayers, worshippers, and guys who can understand and teach the word. That was, what, that was what Nehemiah built the city on. It doesn't talk about the fact they needed um, guys to go out and get food or fishermen or, or more builders. It says that there was nothing, no cities were built in the house, in the, in the, sorry, no houses were built in the city. So they didn't have anything else established. So you would think from a, from a, a worldly perspective, well, why would you bring singers and teachers of the law in when you haven't even got houses for the people to come into? Because he understood the importance of, of erecting a building unto God. And when we understand that, when we, when we get to a place, church, I promise, when we get to a place where we go, nothing else matters other than the prayers to God, the worship that we have and understanding the Scriptures, When those three things become the most important, the rest of the other stuff will come, the coffee, the building, the lights, the whatever else that that comes in. But if that all falls away, these are the most important things. This is how we build a community. 
That's fascinating to me that he realized that. And he never bends his knee. I'm sure there would have been many out there that said, hey, Nehemiah, we've got no houses, no places to sleep, bro. Do you think we need singers? Should we bring the singers in or should we go and get some of the builders in and actually build us some houses? But Nehemiah understood what God had asked him to do. He understood the call for what was happening. I think I'm going to leave it there. Oh, I'll end with this. The other thing that says there is that there wasn't, there were no people that came into the city. That they actually left the city empty. When Nehemiah had first rebuilt the wall, he had to go out and bring the people back in. I find it interesting that, that when he established the city, those didn't come straight in. They had no reason to come straight in because they had only ever seen the city get sacked time and time and time again. So this, they were camped. It says uh, there was a historical article I was reading that around the city there were, there were camps of the Jewish people that refused to actually come back into the city because they were afraid the city would be sacked again. So as we read, Nehemiah actually had to go out and bring them in. And we know that he brought them in because he brought them in on a census. He brought them in by number. The fact that they're listed there. little side note, freebie. Notice the fourth name there from Nehemiah 7.7 is Mordecai. We've read about Mordecai before. It's interesting that he was there. He had to go and get the people because they didn't believe in a city. Nehemiah went out and he expressed the fact that this time is going to be different. God has built this city. And when he was able to explain that, the people came and rebuilt their houses. You see, we have so many people now that are outside of of the, the body of Christ because they're afraid the thing has been awfully built. We as a people have to be able to establish the fact that God is building something here, that God is doing something in this place. And when we petition to somebody and say, hey, God is doing something in his body, come, come back and be a part of it. You see, I, I look at some of the guys that I know well who, who won't come back to church because they are, have been burnt and disillusioned, and I think, what is it that will bring them back in? I promise you it's not going to be a fancy coffee machine, nice lights and a good flowing service. They don't care for that stuff anymore. Those, the, the, the big guys who are, who are out that have been out for long, who we are saying, come home, bring them home. You know, the older brother in the prodigal son story, those guys aren't going to come back for the fancy lights and the things. They're going to come back when they truly believe that the house has been built on God. So as a people, that's what we focus on. That's what we're, we are aiming for. We're saying, God, we want to build a house that you are honestly building. I say to guys all the time, I don't want you to come to this church just because you like it. I want you to come to this church because God's called you here. Because if you come when God's called you, you will be in the place he's asked you to build and you will build well. But if you've not been called to this house, then what happens is, is that you will get frustrated because it won't be what you want. The family will get frustrated because it won't be what you want. And the house that you're supposed to be in is now lacking the gift that you carry because God's called you there. I had a leader say to me, bro, you tell people they shouldn't come to your church? And I say, firstly, yes, it's not my church. I want God to build it. And secondly, yes, I don't want to just fill the seats so that I can say, have a look at this thing because people will get hurt and I do not want to hurt people. 
So if God's asked you to be here and you get hurt, you've got to take that up with him. And I can say, hey, didn't God send you here? Let's work this thing out. Come to me. Come to me as a brother. Or Yeah, as a sister, if you're a sister. Then we get to knock this stuff on the head and build what God's asking us to build. And then people won't look back and say, man, look how big that house was. They'll look back and they'll say, look what those guys were able to do. Look at the fruit that they planted in this city. You know, that was the most incredible thing about Mike and being at Mike's memorial was that I didn't get to look at his life and say, wow, look how big the building was that he built. I got to look at the people that were in the room and go, man, look at the fruit that has grown from the harvest he laid. He didn't have a big, a big name thing. He didn't have you know, hundreds of people that joined his ministry and, and he, he did all these things, but he had incredibly large men and women of the faith say that because of that man, I saw God. He had people that, that were able to say how incredible he was. That's what we want to build so that we can stand and say, God, it was your work that was accomplished there. Why don't you stand and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord. God, I honor you and I worship you, King Jesus. Father, whatever you were doing here this morning, Lord, whatever you were putting together, God, I pray that you just begin to burn it on our hearts, Father. Anything, God, that I said that wasn't from you, I pray that you just allow it to fall to the ground. But anything that you were saying here this morning, Father, won't you just begin to burn that in our hearts? I pray that, that you begin to allow us to see, dream, dream dreams, Lord, have visions of you and see what it is you're doing in this city what it is you're doing in this house and in this nation. And Father, I pray that if or when those storms come, Lord, that you've given us the strength, the understanding, the, the ability and the wisdom to see your way and to do it your way, Jesus. Lord, won't you come and build your church? I just declare you as the cornerstone, the head of this church, this house, Lord God, your body, Father. And I say, come and have your way. Do whatever you want to do in this place. Build it whatever way you see to build it, Father. And Lord, I just pray now for that generation to arise, Jesus. We just declare that in your name. Just pray that you, you bring the burnt out soldiers home, Father. Bring those who are weary and disillusioned home, Lord. And I pray that you bring those who don't know you yet, Father, so we can begin to show them who you are, Lord. And I pray that as we go out, Lord, out into to the mission field, out into the field of, of people who have never seen you, have, have never known you, God, give us wisdom to operate your ways. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. We worship you, Father. In your glorious name we pray. Amen. I hope you got something out of that, something, some things there made sense. Um, if you haven't had a coffee... If, if this is your first time you having a coffee, go and tell them that I'll shout and get a coffee. If not, pay what you like, get a coffee, get some snacks, and we'll see you around about.